over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the history of fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. Well, Halloween was just yesterday, and on the heels of our Fashion That Kills episode, April and I wanted to cover another decidedly morbid topic. In fact, we thought it would be fun to dissect the flapper. Well, I mean, not literally, of course, (laughs) um, but it is going to be fun to take apart this iconic 1920s lady apart piece by piece from the top of her bobbed head of hair all the way down to her dancing feet. But first, what exactly is a flapper and where did she come from? You might think you know the answer to this, but what we have to share with you today may just surprise you. Right, because the so-called flapper is most often characterized as the 1920s phenomenon, representative of a new type of fashion-forward, free-spirited modern young woman that emerged in the post-World War I era. And to this day, she really embodies the zeitgeist and excitement of the Roaring Twenties, an era that's defined by this unbridled pursuit of an indulgence in entertainment and extravagance. However, despite popular opinion casts, the term did not originate in the 1920s. Although some narratives will tell you that it came from the 1920s um, as a fashion trend for unfastened rubber boots that quote-unquote flapped when the wearers walked, this is actually not the case. And we're going to quote one of our favorite fashion historians, Claire Sorrow. She once wrote about the flapper saying, quote, Despite this potent imagery, the word has its origins in 16th century British slang. Deriving from the colloquial flap, the word indicated a young female prostitute and likely referred to the awkward flapping of a young bird's wings when learning to fly. Claire goes on to assure us that, quote, by the 19th century, the term had lost most of its lewd connotations. So to find out exactly when the term gained its contemporary associations with the jazz age poster girl, we naturally started sleuthing in the online archives. It's what we do best on Dressed. And I found one answer in the form of a Harper's Bazaar article entitled Dressing the Flapper, which reads, quote, the awkward age has long been the despair of mothers who wish to dress their girls becomingly. Today, the designers are paying special attention to the flapper. Wait, what? That's not exactly describing our, you know, fun-loving it girl (laughs) of the 1920s. Now, is it awkward? (laughs) (laughs) No, and actually, that article dates to 1915. And at this point, the term flapper, while it refers more to a teenager or even a preteen, you know, the girl that embodies that Britney Spears song, I'm not a girl. Oh, no. Not yet a woman. No Britney on dress. I need is time. (laughs) I could go on, but I, I'll, I won't. <laughs> well, um, you know, you said that article was from 1915. And if we're going to judge by the huge spike in advertisements and articles from around um, World War I, 1915 to 1919, that are suddenly addressing the clothing needs of these young flappers, um, you know, clothing manufacturers and designers had discovered that there was a lot of money to be made in what was then an entirely untapped market. Wrote the New York Times in 1917, it is a long time since the spirit of youth has been any better depicted than in the garments for misses and juniors that are now being shown in the market. 
garments for the quote-unquote flapper, which is the title given to young girls of the awkward age. There it is again, that word awkward. Awkward and flapper are just not two words I would normally equate with one another. No, you usually think of extreme elegance. So when did quote-unquote flappers make the transition from awkward preteen girls to free-spirited fashion icons? And why? Well, one answer might lie in a 1919 Women's Wear Daily article. This article expressly defines the flapper as a girl aged 12 to 16 years of age and even illustrates her for you. We see in this article four stylish young flappers being depicted. They're smiling. They're carrying on with their fashionably dressed mothers in tow. But Cass, these young flappers all wear dresses that barely skim their knees, and two of them, well, they have even short bobbed hair. Aha! That is two characteristic 1920s flapper traits and in 1919, no less. Mm -hmm. In fact, just one month prior, the same magazine had declared, quote, flappers receiving more attention than ever before. Indeed, these junior flappers were becoming a pervasive reality of the clothing industry, and it was really only a matter of time before someone would ascribe this term also to the young modern woman who emerged in the post-World War I era. I mean, she was wearing the same short skirts and bobbed hair after all. But this is really where the similarities between the two end. Because this new woman was no longer a girl, dependent on her mother to pick her clothing. And far from awkward, she was fun-loving, she was independent, and she was ready to throw tradition and moral turpitude to the wind in a flare of fringe, feathers, and shocking dance moves. Oh, yes. And, quote, unspeakable jazz must go, read the headline of one particular 1921 article in Ladies Home Journal, which goes on to say, it is worse than saloon and scarlet vice testify professional dance experts. Only a few cities are curbing evil. <laughs> Jazz being the evil here, of course. But um, like the flapper, American jazz burst onto the post-World War I era like a torpedo. And it was really a death knell for any of these staid old practices of a bygone era. It was fast-paced. It was exciting. And to many people, it was downright terrifying because it inspired racy dance moves that shocked polite taste. Quote, the high society flapper is still going the limit, continues the article. She drinks, she swears, she smokes, toddles, and chatters stories that once belonged to the men's smoke room. You can't reform a society flapper. And Cass, I mean, who would want to? She sounds like super fun. I want to hang out with her. <laughs> I know, absolutely. And you know, a lot happened in the 1910s to facilitate the emergence of this new type of woman. Nothing happens in a vacuum. World War I lasted from 1914 to 1918, and with so many young men around the world called to service, women entered the workforce en masse. Not to mention that in America, women were also marching for the right to vote, which they earned with the ratification of the 19th Amendment in 1920. And if you think about how the miniskirt of the 1960s emerged in tandem with the birth control pill, well, women were just suddenly experiencing this newfound freedom and power that they just had not had before. It's also worth noting that clothing was modernized pre-World War I, as we have discussed in our Birth of the Modern episode. So some women were getting rid of their corsets. Um, skirts were 
already beginning to become shorter in 1914. I mean, uh, the the professional dancer Irene Castle, she bobbed her hair in 1915. So time was ripe for change. And in the devastating aftermath of the war, the world had changed. And so too had women. By 1922, this new breed of young, free-spirited women had co-opted the flapper term away from their junior counterparts. As made clear in this 1922 New York Times article, the differences between the two were actually night and day. The junior flapper, quote, had none of the assurance, none of the independence, none of the defiance of social laws, none of the freedom with those of the opposite sex, none of the scorn for parental advice, none of the derision for respectability, none of the daring in dress, none of the imperviousness to criticism, which has made the American flapper a byword. Mm-hmm. And so pervasive an archetype had the flapper become, both as a point of intrigue and also controversy, that the Arizona Prescott Journal felt the need to break down the flapper for its readership, or flapper style, I should really say, on the very front page. In fact, this particular article, which is from August 1922, this is the one that inspired this episode today. So there is a photograph of a quote-unquote flapper, and each piece of her outfit is literally numbered and described. So, shall we, Cass? We shall. Under the title, Typical Flappers reads, You've often heard them called that, but did you ever really understand what it meant? This will straighten you out. It's a picture of a flapper, 100% from head to foot. April, according to this newspaper, which I am just going to say that it might not be the most reliable source of up-to-date fashion information. (laughs) um, The the Arizona Prescott (laughs) Journal was not the end-all be-all. Uh, The flapper has 13 qualifications, so the first of which is her hat of soft silk or felt. And while this hat featured here is small, it is not the ubiquitous cloche hat we associate with 1920s fashion. However, 1922 was the year that the cloche emerged as the fashion staple of a woman's wardrobe, but not one yet adopted by this particular flapper. And number two would, of course, be the bobbed hair and definitely one of the most abrupt breaks from the past, which the new modern women had adopted. You know, as we previously mentioned, celebrities such as Irene Castle had bobbed their hair in years prior. But for centuries before that, a woman's long locks were synonymous with her respectability. And only young girls and teenagers could really get away with wearing their hair down. Um, Older women were expected to wear their hair up. And for many, this was a burden, something that had to be given much time and much care um, every single day. And this new modern woman, well, she didn't have time for such frivolities. No, she did not. She had a lot of dancing to do. That's right. The article follows bobbed hair with a series of seemingly ordinary clothing items other than the fact that quote-unquote flapper has been inserted in front of them. So number three is the flapper curl, which is on the forehead. It's a small curl peeking out from beneath the hat, uh, the hat's brim on the woman's forehead. Number four is the flapper collar, which is to me just a normal flat collar. And number five, flapper earrings. These are dangly earrings, quite large and long, and they really are made all the more noticeable by her short hair. 
And I, I'm going to have to agree with what you said earlier, Cass, and reiterate, this is clearly an outsider's view of a flapper. Um, the author of this article is almost treating this archetypal woman as a, like a foreign or scientific oddity <laughs> <laughs> to be studied or, in our case, dissected. Um, but moving on to number six, um, a slip over sweater. So um, knitwear was certainly a staple of the modern woman's wardrobe at this time, you know, something pioneered by fashion designers such as Coco Chanel and Jean Patu, um, you know, and it was it was very relaxed, it was more comfortable, and women were wearing it more and more. Unadorned and unfussy, this particular sweater was the perfect blank canvas for number seven, flapper beads. In other words, a long necklace that extends to the waist where it meets number eight, a metallic belt. And this is situated not at the wearer's natural waist, of course, but at a lowered waistline that would only continue to lower and drop throughout the decade, um, sometimes disappearing altogether in the boxy shift dress that is synonymous with this era. Number nine, a bracelet of strung jet. Number 10, a knee-length fringe skirt. And ah, yes, one of the most controversial elements of the flapper wardrobe was the short skirt. Um, You know, today, knee-length hardly seems revealing to us, but in 1922, it was the shortest skirt had ever been in history. And if that wasn't shocking enough, cast number 11 were the exposed bare knees. <laughs> I mean, talk about thwarting convention. <gasps> and for extra emphasis, flappers were even rumored to rouge their knees. <gasps> But not to worry, this flapper's legs weren't entirely exposed because number 12 is rolled hose with a fancy garter. Although to show your garter must have been incredibly shocking, this mm-hmm. is underwear being worn as outerwear. But the most daring of flappers, well, they would have done away with stockings entirely. And one of the reasons, just so you know, for the rolled stockings was because when they were dancing, they would fall down. So they would just go ahead and roll them down and attach their garter with them like that beforehand. (laughs) So it became part of their style. Um, And that really kind of takes us to the end of our dissection cast. We're going to end with number 13, the flat-heeled little girl sandals. And not something we might typically associate with the flapper stereotype today, but something that certainly emphasized the perceived youthfulness of the flapper appearance. I have to say, Cass, that was super fun. Um, Even if that article might not have given us the entire picture, a flapper was defined as much by her attitude and her lifestyle as by her dress, but it still gives us a pretty good idea of of the intrigue surrounding this type of young woman that broke the mold. Yeah, and it's an intrigue that obviously continues to fascinate us to this day, that the flapper remains synonymous with the 1920s, speaks to our ongoing fascination with an exciting era bookended by a devastating war and the Great Depression. And the flapper, well, she was very much a woman of her time, and yet she still resonates with us almost 100 years later, a fact that speaks not only to her aesthetic appeal, uh, but to the continued admiration for women who threw their cares to the wind and embraced what it meant to be unapologetically confident, fun-loving, and independent, which is a lesson I think we can all appreciate today. Yes, I certainly do. And that does it for us today, dress listeners. Until next time, may you embrace your inner flapper next time you get dressed. And for images accompanying each week's episode, please follow us on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast. 
This is also our Twitter handle. You can follow us on Facebook at Dress Podcast without the underscore. And we really do love hearing from you. So if you would like to email us, please do so at dressed at howstuffworks.com. For additional readings for each week's episode, please also check out our recommended readings on our website at dressedpodcast.com. And don't forget about our merch store. As always, that can be found at tpublic.com forward slash dressed. That's T-E-E public.com forward slash dressed. And as always, special thanks to our producers, Casey Pegram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at House of Works that makes this show possible each and every week. Catch you soon. Bye. 